Guys, so glad you're here. Um, excited to talk to you about this today. It's probably going to be a little bit different than what you think because I didn't. Uh, what I want to talk to you about is not. I'm not going to give you like all the strategies how to get first time guests in. Like, go do this. We'll save that for the Q and A, right? So, I really just prayed through this and I was like. What do you want me to say, Lord? Because that's just who I am. I don't know if y'all have ever watched me before or kept up with me, but you'll learn me that that's, I'm not your normal, like, typical guy. I just get up and say, Lord, what do you want me to say? And whatever he says, that's what I say. And it usually ends up being the thing that should have been said. You know what I mean? Isn't that cool? <laughs> um, <clears throat> and so I've been pastoring for five years. We planted Venue Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, five years ago. And um, I had never pastored before then. I was a youth pastor but that's different, ain't it? You know, when you're a youth pastor, you think you know what you would do if you were a pastor, right? Uh, but then when you actually get to be a pastor, you realize all the dreams and thoughts you had are, not, are all irrelevant. None of that works, and you actually are in charge of everything now. Like, you weren't given a budget and all that kind of stuff. You have to make one. So, um, I've been learning for five years, and I learned a lot of, you know, kind of like, behavioral things like do this, do this. But most of what God's been doing in me has just been in my heart. It's just been a kind of a transformation of me from the inside out. And I think that's the most important thing. And I know you know that already, but I, my pastor told me this years ago, and I never got it until this process of planning a church. As he always said that people don't get what you teach, they get who you are. And uh, I think so many times, I was teaching things that I wish I was, wondering why nobody else was getting it. And um, the Lord just really had to take me through a process to say, I got to get this in you so it can then be passed down and imparted to other people. And uh, there's really just three little points I want to give you when it comes to, I don't know the official title of this, uh, of how to how to get first-time guests, right? Is that's yeah, I knew it was about first-time guests, but I didn't know the official title. Um, I got three points. I'm not, like, here to preach a message, so I'm not going to give you some, like, big thing to tie it in. I'm just going to give you the points, tell you them, and we're going to talk about it. Is that all right? Um, here's point number one. There are three best ways to fill your church every week to overflowing with first-time visitors. Ready for this? Number one, find your voice. Find your voice. Because I think we're all looking for the thing to do. Like, is it a mailer? Is it holding signs? Is it, what is it? Is it new invitations? Is it a cool series? Is it, it's all of those if you found your voice. If you haven't found your voice, let, let me share a verse with you, okay? I want to share two verses with you. First one, John 2, 21, 17. Jesus comes all the way back to the Sea of Galilee. Before he leaves, he wants to let Peter know he's forgiven him for denying him, right? And, and then he, he says this. Third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question. Third time he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, listen to this, then feed my sheep. I don't know if y'all heard my seven on seven the first time I did it, like three years ago. But I talked about how relevant Jesus is. You know, I'm an Israel fanatic. I've been five times in the last three and a half years, and I want to go anytime. If y'all ever want to go, just invite me. I'll probably go with you. Like, I love it. 
It's amazing. If you haven't gone, you need to go. It will change your life forever. I'm serious. Uh, the people that go to Israel only say one thing. I wish I would have gone earlier. Every single time. Um, that was my Israel plug, by the way. Uh, but what I talked about is when you're in Israel, you will notice that I changed, I called Jesus the pointing preacher. Because when you visit where he was, he was always pointing to something when he talked about something, right? When he's on the, the teaching the Beatitudes, he's on a hill did, talking about the birds. Did you know this? That Israel has 600 million birds a year that migrate through Israel. And so when they would have been sitting there, they would have literally had birds crawling all over them when he said, look at the birds. Uh, you know, when he said, you can say to this mountain, be moved. He was at the foot of the Mount of Olives pointing to Mount Herodium where King Herod had built his palace. Uh, but he didn't, he built it on a mountain that had a mountain of equal size beside it. And he was such an egotistical maniac. He said, I will not build my palace on a mountain beside one that has a mountain that's the same height. So he made his people cut that mountain in half and move it on top of his mountain. That was happening while he was preaching. So he was looking at his disciples saying, if Herod, who's an earthly king, can mobilize his earthly people to literally dig a mountain out and move it, think about you who has the heavenly king. You can just speak. You don't even have to get your hands dirty and you can move a mountain. He's the pointing preacher, right? And so he comes up to Peter, who's a fisherman who is fishing, and isn't it interesting, the most relevant person on earth who's the pointing preacher who always speaks in context says this to Peter, while he's fishing, feed my sheep. That doesn't even make any sense. He's always relevant. So why is he talking to a fisherman about sheep? Because he had just told Peter, it's on you that I'm going to build my church. Peter was a fisherman, right? Fishermen back then got taxed on everything they brought in, which meant they chose to throw some fish back because they didn't think they were valuable enough to pay for them. So he's looking at him saying, I'm about to build my church on you and I don't need you building my church with a fisherman mentality, looking at people thinking they're not valuable enough. That's good. That's good. I need to build my kingdom on a shepherd's mentality. So I'm about to speak to you, not where you are, but where I'm calling you. I'm about to help you, Peter, find your voice. Your voice is not the voice of a fisherman. Your voice is now the voice of a shepherd. I'm gonna give you sheep, and the sheep will know your voice. Matter of fact, listen to this, John 10, 5. The sheep will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. What does all this have to do, Tavern, with first-time guests? God has called you as a pastor, me as a pastor, not to be fishermen. He's called us to be shepherds. He's put us in a city full of sheep. And the only way the sheep he called you there to reach will respond is if your voice is heard. It's why you cannot be in competition with everybody else in your city. Do you know why? Because your sheep only respond to your voice. Your sheep can't go to their church because your sheep will not respond to their voice. Your sheep will only respond to your voice. The problem is, is that we're freaking trying to be like everybody else. There is only one Stephen Furtick in the world. Let him be him. There's only one Chris Hodges in the world. Let him be him. 
There's only one Mekon Carter in the world. Let him be him. There's only one Mike Todd in the world. Let him be him. There's only one, listen, you in the world. And I'm going to be strong here. Do y'all mind if I'm strong and say this? People are dying without Jesus and going to hell because they have not been able to respond to the gospel because you have not yet found your voice. You know what I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Just who are you? That's what I've spent the last five years trying to figure out about me. Like, who am I? Because, you know, I'm a preacher. If you ever watch me, you'll learn that. I'm a preacher. I'm a spitter, screamer, yeller, stomper, runner, like whatever. I'll do it. I tell people, you know, to talk to their neighbor. That's me. I'm not copying nobody. That's just me. I tell people that I'm going to preach so hard they're going to be tossing their wigs and throwing their babies. You know what I'm saying? Like, I do that kind of stuff. Like, I cut up with people. I'm just me. I'm very real. I'm very authentic. I will tell you if me and my wife had a fight on Saturday night and I'm preaching on Sunday and I feel guilty even preaching because I feel like I failed the night before, I'll tell my whole congregation. Not everybody does that. Not everybody's called to do that. I just just found me. I tried sitting down in a stool and it didn't work. I'm serious. I tried using the TV and I couldn't do it. I mean, literally, my camera people said, you are driving us crazy. We can't even get the shot right because you won't stay near the TV. I thought it was cool. I thought since Pastor Chris did it, it would make me look smarter. I tried it. I tried giving the Greek words and going deeper and doing all that. I'm not smart enough to do that. It ain't me. I got a high school education. I didn't even... (laughs) Daniel Floyd back there preaching me down. See, I'm that. I just interrupt myself and point out my best friends. I love you. Yes. Um, but I found me. You know what was the problem, though? I didn't like me. And I kept trying to be somebody else because I didn't like me. I got this redneck accent, and I thought, I wish I had Bishop Jake's voice. Why do I have this voice? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I cut up, and I'm funny, but funny people seem like they don't get taken seriously ever. And I got mad, like, why am I funny? Why can't I be serious? Like, I read the Bible and the old school towns and names. I can't pronounce them right. And when I try it, people laugh at me. And I thought, you're an idiot. Why can't you even say these words? Like, I tried to go to the Greek and do all this. And I couldn't even make, I get the Greek word. Oh, that's good. And then by the time I tried to break it down, I screwed the whole thing up. And I was like, well, that just ain't me. And I just had to find me and settle on the fact that, you know what? I just am who I am. And if people like me, then they like me, but it's really not even about me. I'm just like the vessel, you know? I'm just the shepherd, like the message is not mine. I'm just trying to give him the voice that some sheep are gonna recognize, you know? And I'm telling you, man, more than any good series and more than any campaign, and and I'm not saying series and all that are bad. Do your best series, do creative stuff, be awesome. But when you just find you and you're okay with you and you sell out to you, you'll be having hundreds of first-time guests because they recognize your voice. They do. You know, I, I had this, somebody tell me one time, I just don't want you to turn into one of them screaming kingdom preachers. And it was somebody that I really admire. I didn't admire them. I used to. Like, I still admire them. 
still in relationship with them. I, I still love them. I still glean from them because I'm have God's helped me be mature enough to spit out the bones and take the meat, right? But did you know for months, I quit being a screaming kingdom preacher and I am a screaming kingdom preacher. And it really broke my heart when I woke up one day and figured out that like I was more concerned with being what they wanted me to be than being what my city needed me to be, right? And, and I'm just gonna rip off a phrase from Pastor Stephen Furtick that I've held deep in my heart. He says this, God will not bless who you pretend to be. He can't. And it's not that he doesn't want to, and it's not a punishment, because he can't get the sheep to respond to a voice that's not yours. So that's number one. Are you disappointed? Because y'all thought I was going to be like, send this mailer out, and 200 people are coming this week. Like, I thought you might be disappointed at this message. I, but then I had to be like, who cares? Like, just, just be you. Um, find your voice. Number two is this. Lean into prayer. I got three little girls, 10, 8, and 7. Nope, 10, 9, and 8. <laughs> no, 11, 9, and 8. Wow. I've said 10, 8, and 7 for a year now, and it's just in my head. Sorry. See, I can't be one of those smart preachers. I'm just me. 11, 9, and 7. Avery, Emery, Presley all end with an I. They're beautiful. They're awesome. Um, and we got, uh, for Christmas, we got a hoverboard. You know what I'm talking about? Um, not a hoverboard like... I got excited when I heard hoverboard because I was thinking back to the future too. You know what I mean? Like, why would you call this a hoverboard? It's like a handlebarless scooter or something, you know? Like, um, or Segway. Yeah, it's like Paul Blart. But um, so we got it. Here's the coolest thing, man. I love it now. Because I can fly on that thing. Literally, I can get from, I can get from here to the other end of this auditorium in like 20 seconds. Maybe that's an exaggeration. 30, 60 seconds, when it would take me double or triple the time on my feet. It's faster. It's pretty smooth when you get used to it. But do you know what the key to making the whole thing work is? You got to lean into it. Like if you lean into it, it gets you farther, faster. Which is why I said lean into prayer. Everything big and significant that was ever birthed in my life was birthed through prayer. I'm serious, y'all. I'm not trying to be super spiritual. Like, I'm serious. I, I mean, I come from a church in Greenville, South Carolina, church of about 20,000 people. I walked in the door, had a 5,000-seat auditorium. Nobody knew me. Nobody knew me. I was dealing with panic and anxiety. Me and my wife were on the verge of a divorce, literally, three years into our marriage. Like, three weeks before this, she had just picked me up from work at lunch, parked in a vacant parking lot and told me uh, that she was leaving me. I begged her not to, to give me one more chance. And here we are three weeks later and we go to this church. We walk in and she actually had met somebody talking about volunteering and they were taking her on a tour and I didn't want to go. And so I just went in and I sat in the auditorium. I had just gotten out of the car from having a full-blown panic attack. So I was dealing with panic and anxiety. And I was sitting there, and, a, and the preacher was preaching. And when I looked over to the left, there was about 400 youth sitting in this section. 
And the Lord spoke to me in that moment and said, that's your youth group. What a crazy time. I was like, we had literally almost gotten divorced. I just had a panic attack. We were so broken. Nobody knew us. Like, and he says, this is going to be yours, right? It was mine five years later. In between then and five years was something called the process. Yeah. <laughs> we all know about that, yes, don't we? Jesus, help us. Yes. So I went home and I prayed. I did all... I was bad at a lot of other things in life, but I was really good at prayer. I was obviously not good at living out what I prayed about or my, or my marriage would have been better, but I was learning. I was in the process. But I really would get a hold of God, and I believed. And I went home, and I just said, Lord, if you said that's my youth group, I believe you're going to make it happen. I felt like I was supposed to take off work two days later because they were having a conference. I went to that conference. They had a youth breakout session like this, 200 people in the room. And at the end of it, the youth pastor called me out. I'd never even met him. He said, sir, everybody's leaving. I said, I was like, me? He said, yeah, come on up here. I came up. Everybody was gone. He said, I don't know who you are. I never met you. I don't even know if you go to church here, but the Lord told me I'm supposed to pull you up under my wing and I'm supposed to, supposed to bring you close to this youth group. I said, Wow. So for the first three months, you know what I did? I picked up trash in the parking lot. Six months after, six months, the next six months, I stood in the aisle and told kids to be quiet while the youth pastor was preaching. <laughs> and then he came to me because he saw that even the little things I did in excellence. And, and he came to me and he said, hey, I want to talk to you. He said, you, these kids really seem to get along with you. You really seem to click with them. He said, I've been a youth pastor here for 10 years. He said, we've never in 10 years seen more than 100 first-time visitors in the entire year to our youth group. He said, could you just maybe meet me next week and throw out some ideas? Like, I feel like you're connecting with these kids. You're, maybe you can figure something out. I said, okay. I went home that night. Me and my wife lived in a single wide trailer that didn't have any heat and any air. I'm not exaggerating. And this couple at the church had not found that out and they bought us a space heater. So we carried the space heater from room to room with us, okay? So that was one of those, have you seen those space heaters? They stand up and they got like the honeycomb looking front. You know what I'm talking about? So I put my wife to bed, literally no exaggeration, 13 blankets. We slept with 13 blankets because before we had this space heater, we didn't have any heat. So I put her to bed because I was going to go pray and I had to take the space heater with me. <laughs> so I took the heater with me. I sat what I call Indian style, and that's not offensive because I'm part Cherokee. Now you got to say crisscross applesauce. You can't say Indian style anymore. But I sat, you know what I'm talking about? I sat there in front of that and I just started praying. And I went in, y'all. And I opened my eyes, and when I did, I saw the front of that thing. And y'all are going to think I'm crazy, but the Lord gave me a, a memory of watching The Price is Right. And the front of that honeycomb thing reminded me of the game that would have the, all those holes, and they would walk up and punch through the hole and yes. pull out a prize. Yes. And the Lord said, make a box, cut holes just like this, get prizes, and give them to people for however many guests they get. I built this big thing. It was actually the stage 
And then after the band would come off the stage, I built hinges on it. They could pick it up and set this thing and the front of it would swing out like this and it had a hundred holes in it. And we built these little baggies behind it and we put this paper over it. And I went across, I got a year's worth of Chick-fil-A. I got a Wii, I got a PlayStation. I got all these cool prizes, right? Did you know in the next seven months, we had 1,200 first-time guests? 1,200. Not because I had a good idea. You ready for a good church cliche? Because I had a God idea. That did not come from me being cool or relevant or knowing everything I was doing. It came from a moment of prayer. Everything... I went to plant my church. We had 200 people month. We launched with 450 people. How many of y'all know that launch day is awesome and then the next week sucks? Y'all know what I'm talking about? So we're all on a high and the next week we had like 200 people. And that was in October. So two months later was Christmas. So then we're like 150 people and we're like ready to just quit. You know what I mean? And here comes January, February, March, and I'm just praying We're at like 200 people and I'm praying, Lord, help us. What do you want me to do? Lord, blah, 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 just praying. And the Lord said to me, go in your office. And I went to my office and he he said, look at your bookshelf. I'm serious, I'm not making this up. I looked and I I recognized in between my books, this little video um, from Elevation called This Is How We Changed the World. Have y'all ever seen that one? It's their documentary. I picked it up, I started watching it, and I just started weeping as I watched it because it wasn't like I wanted to do what they did. It was like God was moving me and something was happening. And when it showed this one little clip, how they did the helicopter with the egg drop and they did all that, and he said, 2,000 people showed up and all of this. The Lord said, I want you to do this. Chattanooga's never seen this. I want you to do it. We didn't have any money. We started pricing everything. It was gonna cost us $60,000 to do this a five-month-old church with 200 people, and I'm 38 now. I was 33 then, and I, my hair was probably dyed blonde at the time, and I wore all this crap. People thought I was an idiot, probably, and I was up there like, we need $60,000, and they're like, we're not giving you $60,000, you know? And I, I was like, Lord, how do we do this? And the Lord said, I want you to sell your truck. I want you to write the check from what you get from that, and I want you to publicly put it in the offering first this Sunday and tell them what you're doing. So I sold my truck, $8,500. I brought the money in that Sunday. I cast the vision. I said, we need 60. I said, and this is, the Lord told me to sell my truck. And here's the first, $8,500. In five days, we had $75,000. We rented out this place called Camp Jordan. We did 50,000 Easter eggs. We did all this. We had 200 people. Listen to this. 11,000 people showed up at our Easter egg drop. Listen, More would have showed up. The cops told us that Highway 75 was shut down for two and a half miles and they literally turned away hundreds of cars because they couldn't fit any more people in there. It wasn't because I was good at preaching. It wasn't because I was a good leader. It wasn't because I knew what I was doing. It wasn't because I did anything right other than get in God's presence and pray. And he gave me the idea. You got to lean into prayer. I could tell you story after story after story, after story. Somebody yesterday, we ate lunch, and he said, I think this is the first time I've ever been with you where you're actually eating and you're not fasting. But every time he's around me, I'm fasting. That's why I'm so skinny. Do you know that? Like, 
I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that because the Lord has put this in me that some things only come through prayer and fasting. Like, what has grown our church? What has grown Venue Church? What has taken Venue Church from six people on Vision Day to two campuses and thousands of people and launching three more campuses next year and God doing all of this kind of stuff? What's done it? Do you know what's done it? Prayer and fasting. That's what's done it. I can't tell you how many times our entire staff has done 40-day fasts. I'm not talking about 40, like not 40 day, oh, we're gonna fast a minute. I'm talking about 40 day, nothing but liquid fast. Time after time, 21 day, 40 day, seven day, two day, three day. You'll walk in, I'll, we'll be eating lunch. My campus pastor will be drinking a, what do you call them? Those awful, well, yeah, LaCroix. Those things are awful. It, it, that's how you know somebody's fasting at venue. They're carrying a LaCroix around, you know? You know you are desperate when you're drinking one of those things, you know? <laughs> But we don't make it happen. I was like, bro, you fasting? He's like, yeah, the Lord told me to fast about this. You know, you know, three weeks later, a breakthrough will happen in what he's believing for in his campus. Like, we just have that culture that if we lean into prayer, because let me tell you something. Are you ready for this? Ready. This on. is going to blow your mind. It blew my mind. And I don't know why I never realized this, but I just finally realized it. God wants to grow your church more than you do. Yeah, that's good. That's powerful. God loves the people in your city more than you do. And if you'll just listen, God has better ideas than you do. And if you just listen, he's always talking. Can I say this briefly? And I don't want to dive into this far because I'm not trying to like break through everybody's theological boundaries and I'm not trying to stir something up. But since Pastor Chris went there, I feel the freedom to go there. You have to pray in the spirit. You have to. It has to be a daily occurrence. Do you know, rarely ever do I even ask God for anything in prayer anymore. I spend about half of my time quoting back to him scriptural promises he already said. And I spend the rest of the time praying in the spirit. If you're real old school like me, you don't say praying in the spirit. You say praying in the Holy Ghost. You can tell a Pentecostal from a Baptist. A Baptist says Holy Spirit. A Pentecostal says Holy Ghost. They don't say Holy Ghost. They say Holy Ghost. You got the Holy Ghost? Baptist, Pentecostal, we're all awesome. Not trying to separate anybody in here, whatever you are. But the Lord showed me something. The Bible says in um, 2 Corinthians 14 at the end, it says that when you pray in the Spirit, you pray the mysteries of God. That was always weird to me. It's like God's all mysterious, like, ooh, pray, but I'm not going to tell you what's going to (laughs) happen. And it didn't seem very biblical to me because the Bible says that when you pray, he'll do what you ask for if you pray in his will. Like, if you're praying in his will, it didn't seem like he wanted to make it a mystery. So I had to dig into that a little bit more. And it, it led me to studying about his death when he was on the cross and he said, it is finished. And as I was studying through that, I learned that it is finished. It, it was used in a lot of contexts back then. It was used by the people in the market because it meant paid in full. It was used by construction people because it meant the project was done. It was used, but one of the main ways, remember I told you he's the most relevant pastor ever, preacher, whoever he was ever, Jesus, son of God, most relevant person ever, right? 
it makes sense what he meant in that context because who was surrounding him? Roman soldiers. It was a military term. The mystery in the Roman context was the overall finished plan that a military general had for whatever campaign they were in. It was called the mystery because nobody knew but the general, the entire plan. So he would take his leaders. They had different ones that were over legions and that were, you know, like in hours, it'd be like sergeants and captains and all of that, right? So he would bring them in one at a time. He would not bring them in together and brief them. He would bring them in one at a time. So this guy's over the cavalry, over with everybody with the horses. He brings him in alone and gives him his piece of the mystery. This one right here is leading the foot soldiers. He brings him in and gives him his piece of the mystery. He didn't want everybody to know the whole mystery because then nobody could torture the whole plan out of anybody. He gives them their piece of the mystery. The mystery is the whole plan. Then they go to battle. Do you know what the general does when they go to battle? He goes and gets a higher vantage point and he watches the battle. And when it got to the point where he realized we have pushed this campaign so far that we've overwhelmed the enemy and it's not quite over, but there's not any way they could come back, he would yell from the top of his lungs, it is finished. That would tell everybody that was fighting, I can muster up a little more to finish this thing. Maybe I'm bruised, maybe I'm tired, maybe I haven't slept in three days, maybe I'm cut, but I can do it because the general has seen we've pushed the enemy to the place where he can't come back so I can finish my assignment. Listen, let me tell you what praying in the Spirit is. Praying in the Spirit reveals unto us the mysteries of God. Praying in the Spirit takes us out of a place where we only understand the piece of the assignment we're in, and it unveils to us the entire assignment that God wants to accomplish in our lives, which brings us back to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Right? Trust not in your what? own understanding. When we pray in English or whatever language you speak, you pray in your own understanding. You can only pray for the things that you have the ability to understand, meaning you can only pray about the current assignment and the part of the mystery you're on, but you can never be freeing doors to open up because you're never praying about any other parts of the assignment that need to work together for everything to come together. Praying in the Spirit You are praying for all of the other pieces that need to come together for your whole assignment to push the enemy to the place where he can't do anything to stop you. So you got to lean into prayer. You got to lean into praying and listening and you got to lean in. Do you know how we, you know what Venue Church does every morning? Our doors open at eight o'clock and at 8.30, no matter what, you cannot have anything else going on. Your schedule has to be clear from 8.30 to 9.00 our entire staff meets together. We memorize scripture together. So we have a scripture, whatever passage we're in, and we read it together every day. We're memorizing chapters. We've already memorized two chapters in the Bible together. We're memorizing full chapters. So we read the whole chapter every morning. until, And then what we do, the next week, we give them the, the paper, missing the first few verses. Then the next week, missing more, until we can quote the entire thing together out loud. And then after we're done, we play two worship songs. And do you know what we do? Nobody's allowed to pray in English. Everybody has to pray in the Spirit. Which means, notice this, 
You can't be a staff member at Venue Church if you're not filled in the Holy Ghost and pray in the Spirit. You don't have to do that. I just do that because our assignment is too important for me to have people in there that are only in their own understanding and can't lead their area in the full knowing of the mystery of God. Do you know what, man? God gives people right in those moments at 8.30 in the morning, God gives people just ideas, things that like, you know, y'all think, man, you're crazy. I don't believe in that. That's cool. I'm not trying to force it on you. If you heard the story of our church, you can't not believe in it. I mean, there's weeks that we've grown 800 people in a week. There's weeks that we've grown 1,100 people in a week. There's weeks that we come in and there's 300 more people there than there was the last week. There's weeks, I mean, it's crazy. And it's not just about numerical growth. There's people that are getting healed in our church from diseases. There's people that's marriages are getting, there's addictions that are broken in the building. Financial miracles are breaking out. The spirit of generosity is breaking out. And that does not come because, can I just tell some of the the pastors something in here? You can't preach good enough. For that alone to build God's kingdom and win your city. It ain't going to happen. The lost people in your city don't give a rip about a good preacher. All of the bombs you think you're dropping. I'm not making fun of you. I did it. This has been a part of my process. But man... God loves them so much that if you get in your prayer closet and you lean into prayer, he will give you the exact thing that'll reach them. And if you do it and you only had one first-time visitor, but they got saved and they come get discipled and they end up being one of your campus pastors one day reaching thousands of people, that was the greatest idea you got. Got to lean into prayer. Here's the third thing, and I'm done, and then we can do some Q&A. Is this helping you at all? Here's the third thing. Keep your foot on the gas. Here's the one thing that I noticed the year that I started to launch my church. We moved to Chattanooga in November of 2012. We didn't launch till October of 2013. So for almost a year, we were in the city. We didn't really have a church of our own. And so we went to just a bunch of different churches on Sunday. 10 out of 10, 100%. Every church I went to, big or small, I noticed one thing. I noticed that as I talked to their staff and I noticed as I read their stories, I noticed all of this. Here's what I noticed. That in the beginning when they were launching and when they were telling me those types of things, they were doing everything they could to get their name out. And now a year later, two years later, they were on cruise control. And I just made the commitment. This is the commitment I made, and this will help you. We say this. This is a part of our language, our church. I made the commitment. Venue Church will never leave launch mode. We're five years old, and we're still in launch mode. If you follow us on social media, if you follow me on social media, you'll see us almost... You'll see us weekend after weekend out there on the side of the streets holding signs, yelling, telling people to honk. You'll see us. We'll be in neighborhoods. Literally, listen to this. We're old school, knocking on doors, and people come to the door, and we give them an invitation, ask if we can pray for them, and invite them to our church. 
you'll see us out there taking invitations and just going through the whole Walmart parking lot until we get kicked out and putting them on windows. Like, not the windshield wiper. People, that makes people mad and they don't like it. But put it where it's convenient for them and they just grab it and get in their car. Like, every single week, you'll see us doing something. Why? Because we made the commitment that if anybody, anybody, in Chattanooga or the surrounding area, wakes up on a Sunday and thinks, I should go to church today. They're not going to skip because we didn't try to get the word out to let them know there's a place that they'll be loved. Does it mean that I, I don't work a normal Monday through Friday week? Yes. Is that okay for me? Absolutely. Can my staff handle it? Yeah, because that's something we talk about before they say yes to the job. Sorry, my wife's texted me telling her her landing is really bumpy to pray for. So, Lord, we thank you for a smooth landing in Jesus' name. That's all I got. I just, I want your churches to explode. Amen. God wants your churches to explode. The local church is the hope of the world. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. The only thing God is building in the earth right now is his church. It's the only thing. So if your church is not growing, there's, the main answer is that number one, You've not leaned in enough to get his strategy. Or number two, he's doing something in you so that you can be who you need to be when it does grow. That's what he's been doing with me. You know? He's been chiseling away at me for five years. I must be stubborn and hard-headed. I I actually thought I was pretty teachable, but obviously not. It's taken a lot in the last five years and... I keep thinking Steph Curry's on the back row back there. You look just like Steph Curry every time I look back there. It's awesome. So I guess we do Q&A or something? They have a question. Okay, if y'all have a question, ask away. Listen, I don't know if I'll have the right answer, but I'll give you the best answer I know how at this moment. And if it's wrong, I'll DM you, and I'll be like, hey, that one was wrong. I looked this up, and it needs to be different. Yeah, I was just uh, curious, when you sold your truck, how long were you out without a ride? Oh, man. Well, I wasn't without a ride because my wife had a car, too, so she gave me a ride. Well, let me ask this. What's your name? Stuart. Stuart, where are you from? Louisiana. Louisiana? That's awesome. Hey. Um, I don't know. So, I think probably, if I can remember correctly, that time, because I've, I've given a lot of cars away. I actually gave my car away last Sunday. So uh, the Lord told me. I was on the front row. The Lord said, give your car away. He told me who to do it, so I got up on the stage and gave it to somebody. Like, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me, you know? Hey, I'll give you my car. <laughs> so I gave away a 2009 uh, Tahoe Sunday, and Monday somebody showed up with a 2015 Tahoe and gave me the keys said, the Lord didn't tell me to do this when you gave it away Sunday. He told me last Wednesday I was supposed to give this to you. So I maybe a couple weeks, and a guy from church gave me a truck. Yeah. Um, 
I don't care. Nothing I have is mine. The Lord's just letting me drive it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I don't hold it tightly. Yeah, it's good. I don't hold it tightly. Uh, thanks for this, by the way. It's Absolutely. incredible. Um, you talked about finding your voice, and even uh, here at the conference, several people have been like, well, you know, what's your church's thing, that sort of thing. And I feel like we're, you know, we're all trying to see lost people go to heaven. That's kind Absolutely. of our thing. But uh, how how did you kind of narrow that down for you personally, like in your preaching style and stuff, but then also your church of where like venue church, this is who we are. This is what we do, find, finding your voice. Yeah. So, um, man, that's a great question. Well, are you ready for this? I went on a 21-day fast. <laughs> um, and I asked God to help me. And I, the one thing the Lord showed me was this. This is what he showed me in that fasting. He said, Tavner, I saved your soul, but I did not save your personality. I gave you your personality. And you know what exercise he gave me? This is going to sound crazy, and y'all are going to think I'm the craziest person. You probably already do. He really put it in my heart to draw this thing in my journal. I should have brought it. That looked, I'm a horrible drawer, and, but it looks like a gingerbread cookie person. It's like bubble. You know, do you know what I'm talking about? Is there a whiteboard? Oh, look at here. Just like that. That looks more like a flower. There you go. And I felt like he said, I felt like he said, take time during this fast and I want you to ask me to reveal to you things that describe who I've made you to be. And so I wrote things like, and these were hard to write. I wrote things like overboard. Because I'm overboard. Everything I do is overboard. If my wife doesn't ask me to go to Walmart anymore, because if, <laughs> if she needs two things, I come back with seven bags full of things because I'm just overboard. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm overboard. And so, I'm overboard. Do you know what? This one really hurt me. I'm sensitive. You know? I don't know why. My dad left when I was seven. I was raised by my grandma and my mom. So, I was raised, and I have a sister. I was raised by women. Maybe I just am more sensitive because of that. I cry at the drop of a hat, y'all. Like, I can literally see a butterfly fly across, and I'm like, oh, gosh, that was beautiful. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and sometimes that's embarrassing. Like, I, but spiritually, I really cry. I'm bawling all the time about spiritual stuff. So I'm sensitive. I'm, I'm, you know, here, I hate this one about myself. I'm funny. It's not like I'm, like I'm a comedian, but like I just I quote movies all the time, and I see the funny things and everything, and sometimes it annoys me because I'm like, I wish I was the more— I wish I was Pastor Chris, you know what I'm saying? Who I can get a Boudreaux joke every now and then, but everybody respects me because they see that I'm serious, you know? And I had to, I just, I found who I was and I adapted how I led to who I was, not leading based on some book I read by Craig Rochelle. And Craig Rochelle's not bad, he's awesome. Do you know why he's so awesome? Because he found who he was, right? I mean, I don't, you don't have to eat only chicken and broccoli and lift 500 pounds to be a good leader. He found that that's who he was. He's very disciplined. He's very, that's what he likes to do, blah, blah, blah. He found that's who he was, and he is him. Like, you just go on a prayer walk with God and let him reveal to you who he created you to be. Just let him, like, I'm not afraid to tell people my junk. I've had people all the time say, you shouldn't tell all the people how you fail at everything. And I'm like, noted, but... 
I do. Because that's who I am. You know? I'm just, I feel, I, you, know what, you know why? Because I'm just, I go B-rabbit on the devil. Y'all know that reference? Eight Mile? Remember B-Rabbit? He's in the, him and Papa Doc at the end, and they're on the battle, and he grabs the mic and because they insult each other through their rapping. And so his whole thing was he insulted himself, so by the time that he handed Papa Doc the mic, he had nothing to say. So do you know what I do? I just get on the stage and spill my dirty laundry everywhere so the devil has no area that he can attack my life. And do you know what I found out? That usually the areas I'm struggling are the areas that everybody sitting in my building are struggling, and they needed somebody just to be real and say they were struggling too. So I just go on the prayer. That's what I would say. Go on a prayer walk and just ask the Lord to reveal it to you, and he'll tell you who you are, and then just love who you are. The Bible says to love your neighbor as you love yourself, and that's the problem. Most of us don't even like ourselves, much less love ourselves. That's why we don't like our neighbors. <laughs> right? And so the Lord just let me love myself. Okay. Hey. <laughs> what's your name? Aisha. Aisha. I love that name. Thank you. Where are you from? Gulfport, Mississippi. Come on now. Yeah, you typically have to lead with the state when it's an unknown city. Yeah, that's, so that's okay. what I normally do. Um, so my question is, I guess, kind of different because from a leader perspective, it's like you gave great notes. And I know that as a leader, there I could follow all these principles, but it really is on the pastor yeah. to find his voice or, um, and this is a, a more of a black church thing and I'm not even going to lie even though we're multicultural it's predominantly right. black but we have first ladies yeah I grew weird. up in a black church yeah it's weird okay um, I am black for those of you who can't see I was <laughs> <laughs> but um, so with them it's like how do you like because I can give them these notes I can tell them all about it but it's like they don't see yeah. How do you get your leaders to see? Because you want to see God do great things and you want to see the vision come to pass, but it's like yeah. you're stuck because your leaders are stuck. Right. So I'd say two things. Um, number one, the Bible says that you need to pray for your leaders. So um, that's what I would say. Number one, pray for your leader. I'd say number two, submit to your leader. Like, if you're called to them, if you're called to that house, then you're not called to fix them. You don't carry the vision. You're not called to change anything. You're just called to make what God's given them happen. Doesn't mean you can't have any ideas. It doesn't mean you can't show up with the CD of this session and say, man, pastor, this guy taught this thing and it really struck a note with me and you're doing amazing at what you're doing, but I just thought maybe you'd like to hear it and I got it for you. If you're in a meeting and they ask for ideas, and hey, I got some great ideas, but but if they if they decide to stay on their course, and you decide God still called you to that house, then you support whatever they have. Like you are there, you're an Aaron and a her. You're not there to do anything but hold up the arms of your pastors. You're there to pray for them, and you're there to support their vision, and that's what you're there for. But again, if they have given you a voice in their life, uh, you don't criticize what they've done. Um, you 
you say, hey, I've heard this, and you should listen to it. Or you give them the ideas, and then you leave that between them and God. And then on your off time, you lean into prayer, and you say, Lord, because here's the truth. If what I said is true, and God loves the people more than you, the city more than you, wants to grow the church more than you, then he's going to speak to your pastors, and he's going to open their heart. And if they close their, like, not your pastor, but ultimately, if somebody closes their mind to what the Lord's saying, he'll put somebody else there that'll listen, you know? And so, or he'll release you to go somewhere that will, but he's not going to release you because you're frustrated and you think your stuff's better than them. He's going to release you because you've had the right heart, done the right thing, and then you do the right thing and get a blessing and all that kind of stuff. So I would just support them, love them, pray for them, give them info. Anytime they give you the opportunity to share stuff. Oh, yeah. That is hard. Yeah, that's hard. Hi, my name is Lincoln from Yakima, Washington. Hey, what's up? Um, as uh, I have a pastor who has found his voice, I'm a campus pastor, um, and and yep. I at Together Church. Yes, yeah, yes, awesome. sir. So Pastor, pastor Mekon. Mekon. yeah, um, great friend of mine. He's awesome. What's one of the best ways that you, uh, some advice you would give to a campus pastor to support the amazing voice that you've been put under? Yeah, man, that's really good. So. Here's what I, I've been a pastor for five years. Up until then, I supported a pastor. I never wanted to be a pastor. I never thought I would be a pastor. I thought I would support my pastor for the rest of my life. I was a youth pastor. I was mad at all the youth pastors that had like cut their teeth being a youth pastor and then went to start a church, you know what I mean? And so I thought, I'm gonna be a lifelong youth pastor, you know? That would have, you know, how would that have gone when I was like 80, you know? But like... (laughs) I thought I was going to serve my pastor. And so um, what I realized was this. I built, so can I just say that? Can y'all hear my heart? Because I'm going to tell you the truth. I thought I built a great youth ministry. I mean, once a month, we had 4,000 kids come into the service. You know, we, we did small groups and hundreds of kids were in small groups. We were doing, people got saved. We did all this kind of stuff. And I realized After I left and I planted my church, and a year later I had a conversation with my pastor, I realized that no matter how many kids I had at church, I failed as a youth pastor because I didn't build his vision. I built my vision. And I didn't build his vision because this this blew my mind, but I never knew until I was a pastor. I never went into his office and said, what's your vision for the youth ministry? I never had that conversation. And I remember one time he took us to lunch and he said, all right, I'm going to tell you what I want y'all to do as youth pastors. Ready? Two words, take over. So I did what I thought was right, but it turned out that it wasn't what he would have done. And my call at that point was not to build some big thing. It was to build what he wanted built. And so I would say the best thing you could do to serve Mekon is to take him to lunch one day. And to say, I want to build your thing. You're the pastor here. I am a campus. I don't even like, I don't call my, I don't even, we're changing. We're not calling our people campus pastors anymore. We're calling them campus directors because they're not the pastor. I'm the pastor. And sometimes just giving people a name like that can change some things in the way that they think. And so 
for you to just realize that, you know what, you're not a pastor. You're not the campus pastor, even though that may be your title. You're just the person at that campus that is there to facilitate the vision of the lead pastor. And you can't do that unless you know exactly what his vision is. And so I would just go to him and say, hey, and no matter, maybe you've been his campus pastor 10 years, you know, but I'd go to him and say, even though maybe I think I'm on the right track, like just map it out for me, pastor. Like, let's get real clear down to the details because I want to be in complete alignment with your vision. Because I think that the Bible says that when they poured the oil on Aaron, flowed from the head, down his beard. Like, so we say this, if you're not... If you're in a Pentecostal environment, we say the oil flows, you ready? From the head down, right? Never from the feet up. But the only way oil can flow is if the vessel, if the conduit it's coming through is aligned. If it's misaligned, the oil never gets down to that part. So you can have some oil on the broadcast campus and you're missing some on some, the farther it gets away because there's some misalignment. And sometimes we're misaligned and we don't even know it. And it's not from a bad heart and it's not because we didn't want anything wrong. It's just because there's been no clarity. And so don't put the responsibility on him to give you the clarity. Go to him and say, be real clear with me. Thank you. Yeah. One more question. What's yeah. your name? My name is Stephen Stoner. Stephen Stoner. Hey, what a name. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, people love that name. I don't know why. It's I haven't great figured name. it out yet. Great name. Uh, I'm actually from uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Awesome. Not too far awesome. from you. Not too far at all. I uh, was just curious, after that massive Easter egg hunt you had, yes. um, did you have a decent turnout, or did you see from that your church grow in any way, visitors, yeah. so forth? Our church grew 600 people in one week. Wow. We went from 200 to 800 and never went back in one week. Now, here's, you got to hear me, though. That don't mean if you go do an egg drop, that's going to happen for you. Like, it was a moment where I knew God told me something, and I did it. It doesn't mean if you give your car away, somebody's going to show up tomorrow and give you a car. I didn't give my car away because I wanted a new car. That was actually my dream car. I've, all, I've been wanting a 2009 blacked-out Tahoe my entire, like, since they existed. And... I didn't want to give it away. Like, it was an act of obedience. And so it's not about just doing a strategy. It's about finding the strategy God has for you. And so that's kind of the key. So that's when it comes to leaning into prayer. And it doesn't mean he won't show you something that somebody else did because that's what he did with me. Um, but you go find that, and, um, and he'll do that. So love you guys. It's been awesome. I've loved hanging out with you, and I hope I've— helped and plant some seeds in some way. You want to pray for us? Can I pray? Yeah. I'd love to pray for you. Let's pray in the Holy Ghost. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. I would, but I don't want to get in trouble. So Jesus, I just, man, obviously these leaders love you. I, I mean, they got on planes, they drove, they took off work, they left family, they did whatever they had to do, they paid money. They've sat for hours in sessions, slept in hotel rooms. Like The Bible says that you reward those who diligently seek you. And obviously, they are diligently seeking you. Obviously, you love their cities more than they do. Obviously, your Holy Spirit, the same one that raised Christ from the dead, lives on the inside of them. So God, I pray. I just declare. I'm not even asking. I'm declaring in the name of Jesus that every person in here finds their voice, God. 
I'm declaring right now that there is a new, fresh passion for prayer in this room right now, that these people will lean in and they won't just do all the talking. They'll do some listening, God. I pray, God, that you would help them just to, I pray you would do in them what you did in me. I wasn't in any church service when you showed me about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God. I was in my living room. I was a Baptist in a Southern Baptist college and nobody showed me. I came across an article and you did it in my living room, God. And I I just pray that anybody in here that's seeking that journey, you take them at your comfort level during the right place, down the right road, God. And I pray that you would tell them things, God. You would reveal to them things that, that they would know no other way and give them ideas, give them strategies. And then I pray, God, you would just like tie a cinder block around their foot, put it on the gas pedal of their church and help them to never look back. We thank you. Our churches are gonna grow because you said you would build your church. The gates of hell won't prevail. We're gonna knock them down and we're gonna rescue people from hell. God, I don't believe you're just waiting on the edge of the cloud, waiting to come get us. I think you're being patient because you want more souls. And I believe that the greatest move of God on the face of the earth is yet to happen and we're gonna lead it. And we thank you for that honor. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless y'all, I love you.